We're going to uh, we're going to finish First Corinthians chapter eleven today, and then we're going to take a break from First Corinthians. We're we're working our way through the book of First Corinthians, <clears throat> so we're gonna we're gonna take a break uh, after today. But today, it, really, the timing was perfect being the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we're going we're gonna to look at the Lord's table today, the Lord's Supper, and talk about that. And then through the first uh, Sunday in January, we're going to switch gears and kind of go into Advent mode and, and talk more about uh, themes concerning or related to Advent or the, uh, the birth of Christ, the coming of the Lord in His first incarnation and then after the first of the year, we're going to get back to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to hit the year, the new year running with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be talking about spiritual gifts, and we'll, we'll finish out 1 Corinthians. It'll be uh, a lot of fun, a lot of good information, amen? A lot of these things are things that are uh, a lot of misunderstanding about a lot of things that we will be talking about in the coming year, so... Um, Open your Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And before we begin, uh, just kind of going verse by verse, we're going to go from verses 17 to verse 34 today, talking about the table of the Lord. And Paul is addressing specific disorders relating to the Lord's Supper. But I want to talk to you today about the table of the Lord but I want to talk a little bit about milk, meat, and ketchup before we do this, okay? So I want to say a word about food and tables and eating together. And I think this is fitting since we're the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I don't know how the tradition is in your family, but in our family, Thanksgiving is a big deal, uh, particularly in my wife's family. Oh, before I get started, I just want to say... It is so awesome to have Joe and Ashley here today. <clears throat> Joe was our drummer here today. And uh, Joe met the love of his life and moved off to St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, they live in Columbia, Illinois, just across the river. Uh, do you live in Columbia? Arnold. Uh, and so, if you don't know where that is, you just ride across the river from St. Louis. And so, Ashley stole Joe away, took him up there to the northern lands, and we lost our drummer. But uh, they're down visiting for Thanksgiving, and it's just really good to have them. Not because Joe's an awesome drummer, but you know, Joe lived in my house, and he's like a son to me. So, it's just really, really good to have, have them back. And so, I just want to say that this morning. Very, very good to have you all. If you don't know Joe, get a, get a chance to meet Joe. He sticks out. He's got that UT orange shirt on, hook him horns. And uh, sorry, you Aggies. I'm, Jonathan, man, dude, I'm like, sorry. I know yesterday was not a good day for you. Uh, but <laughs> last Sunday wasn't a good day for us either. <laughs> so it happens. But no, we're going to talk about the Lord's table today. And I wanted to say that, uh, just good to have. So, you know, this is a time of year where family comes in, and uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. You know, Thanksgiving is a time of year where we're conscious more than other times of the year of all that we have to be thankful for. But really and truly, we should live uh, with an attitude of gratitude. We should live being conscious of all that we have to be thankful for. 
Because every day in this life, every day that we live, we have more reasons to be thankful than we can count. And that is really true. Uh, In spite of all of the hardship and and tragedies, my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer last week. And I'll be honest with you, I believe in miracles. God is a God of miracles. I've seen him heal people from things uh, that that there was no hope. Uh, My brother-in-law from my other sister is an example of that. We just learned while I was down with my sister the doctor, the doctor said, you are a miracle. He said, you just don't even have any clue. He said, you are at a minimum of two hours of losing your life. And he said, I don't know how you even lived with the condition that you had. And we have the x-rays. He had a, just a weird condition. And uh, all of his intestines, all of his organs were up in his lung cavity. And he lived that way probably for most of his life. And the pressure became so great, it broke his ribs. They still don't know really how he broke his ribs. But I said, you know what? God broke his ribs. And thank God he did break his ribs. Because had he not had broken ribs, he would have never gone to the doctor. And they would have never discovered this condition. And he would have just died. Um, So God truly does work in weird ways. But he works. And he has a reason for everything. And so I want to encourage you to be thankful. I want to encourage you this time of year that we call Thanksgiving to to really pause. But I want you also to try to get in the habit of not just because it's Thanksgiving, but the purpose that every day after Thanksgiving you find the reasons you have to be thankful. So easy to look at the reasons we have to be sad or to be mad but find the reasons you have to be thankful. So I'd gone down. My sister is diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She needs a miracle. Her name is Lamone, and I would encourage you to pray for her. And before we do anything else, I want to pray. Cindy called today. She's not, obviously, she's not here. She's going to have her cyber knife treatment on her brain Tuesday and Wednesday. And then sometime um, after the holidays, she's going to get ready to go back to MD Anderson. So I want to pray for Cindy this morning. I want to pray for um, others. Uh, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I need prayer, would you just raise your hand? If you, you need prayer for a specific thing, would you raise your hand? Anyone else? All right, here's what I want us to do. As we pray, I want you those to keep your hands up. I want somebody to just go and gather around those that have their hands up, and we're going to pray, okay? Can we do that? Just right now, just go to someone that has their hand up. Just come and just, you don't have to say a prayer. Just, I'll pray. But just as a point of contact, touch them and let them know that someone is thinking and someone is standing behind them and standing with them. Amen? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Lord, in this season that we call Thanksgiving, and and God, we are mindful of all that we have to be thankful for. Lord, first and foremost, we are thankful for you. Not for the things you do for us, not for all that you give us, and you do so much for us, and you give us so much more than we could ever know. But God, the greatest reason we have to be thankful is just simply because of who you are. And so, God, I lift up um, my sister, Lamone. I lift up Cindy Whaling to you. I lift up, Lord, those that are battling in their bodies, Ron Sutton. I lift him up this morning. 
these that literally need a miracle, Bob Catchings, Lord, who need a miracle touch from you, who have had death sentences pronounced over them, that, God, you would touch them. Lord, there's not anything too difficult for you. Cancer is not too difficult for you. There's nothing too difficult for you. Lord, there may be those here today suffering in their bodies. Lord, and maybe it's not cancer. Maybe it's not terminal. Lord, for Sarah today who's had knee surgery, I pray, God, you touch her and you heal and restore that knee to perfect working order. Lord, for those that raise their hands today, that you touch them at their point of need. And Lord, you meet that need in the name of Jesus, that Lord, we would be able to say thank you, Lord, not just because you met our need, but thank you because you love us, because you have poured out your grace upon our lives. And Father, we lift up those in our body and those outside of our body who are sick and struggling this morning, Lord, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in whatever way. Lord, only you and those people know truly what's happening inside of their hearts and inside of their minds. Lord, I believe there are those hurting this morning, Lord, maybe hurting in their silence, not saying anything, not indicating anything, but you know, Lord. And I thank you for that. And Father, I pray the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit would be theirs, that you would guard their hearts and guard their minds with a peace that passes understanding. In spite of all that may not be understood, God, I pray that they would understand and comprehend the love that you have for us that you would carry them through the valley of shadow, carry them through whatever circumstance or situation they may be facing, carry them through by your grace, in your love. We thank you for that. You promised to do that, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you. And we give you, Lord, all the glory in Jesus' name. Lord, now just cause your spirit to illuminate our minds, and our hearts, that we would hear and receive your word today, that it would change us and transform us, conform us to the very image of the Son of God. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to I talk just a little bit about food tables and eating together. Uh, we're going to all do that this week, probably multiple times, if you're like my family. It starts early in the week, and people start coming in, and, and, uh, and we just spend a lot of time eating and fellowshipping, and that's a good thing. So we come together as, as the church. Every Sunday, we come to this building. We come for the Word of God. We come every Sunday to the table of the Lord, and we come and we fellowship together as believers, as the saints of God. So each Sunday we come to a feast. That's that's really the truth. Whether we realize it or not, we come to a feast every Sunday. And this is a feast, first and foremost, that the Lord has prepared for us. That's something really important for us to understand. The feast that we come to every week, we come and it's a feast that the Lord prepares for us. So the feast is in part what's been prepared by by me, your pastor, or by the elders. Uh, Someone comes, they get the communion ready, they, they lead you in worship, uh, there's prayer that happens, there's preparation that takes place. So there's a lot of preparation that takes place and that goes into every Sunday morning.
But I want you to know that just as important as that preparation, just as important as the preparation that, that's made by you. So I want to ask you this question. Did you make preparation before you came here today? Did you make preparation in order to come here today? Because your preparation really is very important when you come week in and week out every Sunday that we gather together. You're to have your heart prepared to receive the spiritual food of His Word and the spiritual food of His table. You're to have your heart prepared to offer up to Him your worship, to offer to one another our fellowship in His love and in His grace. And the food, the spiritual food that, I, that I'm talking about is, is, is the is the Word of God, the Scripture that we're going to partake of today. It's the table that you're going to partake of a little later on in this service. The body and the blood of Christ. It's the food God has prepared and provided for you. And as a pastor, my chief responsibility is to rightly divide that Word. There is a great misunderstanding in the body of Christ about what my responsibility is, I believe, or any pastor, not just me. This is true for all pastors. It's not the pastor's responsibility to spice your food up just the way you like it, to cook it to order and to make it the presentation uh, that's appealing to your senses. Like, like we're all food critics waiting for the for the meal that the chef has prepared and presented for your consumption, for your dining pleasure. When people say, I remember when I first became the pastor, I had a guy, uh, and we're still friends, bless his heart. And I appreciated his honesty. I'll never forget, he came to my house. And at that time, I had an office in my home. And um, he came to my house, to my study, and I'd just become the full-time pastor here. And he said, he said, Pastor Jeff, he said, you're a great teacher. He said, but I need a preacher. He said, you're a good teacher, but you're a lousy preacher. And he said, we're going to leave because I want a preacher, not a teacher. And I said, I didn't really know what to say. I said, well, <clears throat> I said, it is true. I said, I, I do have more of a gift of a teacher than a preacher you know, whatever the difference is there, and I'm sure there is a difference. And I just said, you know, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate you just coming to tell me, you know, instead of just taking off and leaving. You know, this was back, uh, this was 11 years ago, and I'll never forget it when he came to me and he told me that. And, and so, you know, it's like you hear sometimes, I just don't get fed there. And that's really not so much an indictment or an indication of, of the pastor as much as it may be the person saying it. Because what's important is that we're gospel-centered in what we preach and what we teach. What's important is that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you have a responsibility to prepare to receive the food that God has prepared. Really, God has prepared the food for you. God has provided the spiritual nourishment 
for you. Really, I'm just like the waiter that brings the food to you. It's really God who has provided and prepared that food in so many ways. And so God has provided the food. He's provided His Word. I'll never forget my wife's father, who is now a vegan, which means he eats no animal products, but that man could make you the best steak you've ever had in your life. I am not kidding you. And he lived in Richardson, and we'd go up there, and I never could figure out why his steak tasted so much better, and you could cut it with a fork, and then I realized he he doesn't buy his steaks the same place I buy my steaks. (laughs) You know? But I remember his grandson, we'd go up there, and he'd have these steaks that just oozing with this flavorful juice. And the first thing his grandson would do, even when his grand, even to this day, his grandson's a grown man. First thing his grandson would do, he'd take that steak, put it on his plate, and he'd grab the bottle of ketchup, and he'd drown that steak in ketchup. It's like, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you can't taste anything but ketchup here, you know? God has prepared something for us. It doesn't need ketchup. We need to develop a taste for the food that God has provided for us. God has provided the food, His Word. It doesn't need ketchup to make it more appealing. We need to pray that our hearts are prepared to receive His Word. And that his word is made nourishment for us by his spirit. When we come to this table later on, we're going to come and we're going to receive spiritual nourishment. It's just a wafer. It's just a cup of juice. True. And there may not be physically, dietarily speaking, much nutrition in that wafer and that juice in terms of vitamins and minerals and calories for your physical body. But there is a spiritual nourishment that takes place when the body gathers and we come to the table of the Lord. There is a spiritual nourishment that takes place when the body gathers and we partake of the Word of God. And there is a responsibility that not only I have, because I receive the Word and the food as well, as serve it to you. There is a responsibility we all have from the pastor down that we prepare our hearts to receive the food, and the nourishment that God has provided for us. Amen? So we say, pass the milk and the meat, please, but put away the ketchup. Amen? God has prepared a feast for us. Let's pray that our hearts are prepared to receive His Word with joy and with the expectation that it is true nourishment in life to us. Amen? So let's eat. You ready? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. I don't have my regular Bible. I sent it off to have it rebound. I'm going to be real honest with you. This is 8-point type, and I'm used to 12-point type, but I think I can do it. Verse Corinthians 11, let's read verse 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, 
I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions or heresies among you in order that those who are genuine or approved among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give direction when I come. (coughs) Okay. So let's get started. We're going to look at the first three verses in this section of Scripture, verse 17, 18, and 19. Paul says, In giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. That word divisions is a word that means where we get our word schism from. If you looked at that word in the Greek and the English transliteration, you'd see very clearly it's it's where we get our word schism from. There must be, there are schisms or divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, Paul writes. Now, verse 19 is an interesting verse. If we're not careful, we'll misunderstand what Paul is saying in its entirety here. For there must also be factions, that word factions, there must also be factions or heresies among you that those who are approved... That word approved means to try. The ESV, which I read from, translate that word genuine. So it's kind of like, uh, you ever seen the old, um, you know, an old Western, someone flips a gold coin and what's the old prospector do? He bites down on it. What's he doing? He's seeing if it's approved. He's approving it. He's seeing if it's genuine. This is the word Paul is using here, that those who are approved or genuine or tried may be recognized or manifest 
among you. Matthew 18, 7, Jesus said this, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. The King James says it this way, a little bit more clearly, a little bit more literally. Offenses must come, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. What a strange thing for Jesus to say that it's necessary, it's needful that offenses come. This is exactly what Paul is saying here when he says, in part, I believe it, for there must, there must also be factions or heresies among you. Why? That those who are approved are genuine or tried would be manifest among you. How are we to understand this? You're to understand this the exact same way that you understand wheat and tares growing up in a field together. Offenses must come in the same way that tares must grow up and be distinguished from wheat. Paul is not only exposing the reality of factions or heresies, but he echoes the Lord Jesus in the necessity of them in order to make manifest those who are approved, tried, and genuine in the faith. But here's the warning that goes with that. But remember, woe to him by whom the offense comes. So it's really kind of a statement of fact. Factions, heresies are going to happen. They're going to come up. Just like wheat and tares are going to grow together in a field. There's going to come a time when you're going to distinguish the wheat from the tares. Paul is saying to this church, to the Corinthian church, he said, the factions, the heresies that are taking place, the divisions that are among you, they are bringing a distinction of those who are genuine or approved or tried that are among you. It's kind of what John wrote in his first epistle. They left us because they were not of us. So, in the end, this is kind of also the, the warning. We take it as a warning. It is a warning, but it also uh, should be a word of encouragement. So, Paul writes this, I think, in his letter to the Colossians, and we also see it in the book of Revelation, in John's uh, Revelation, in his record there where it talks about those who endure to the end shall be saved. Well, are you saved because you endured to the end? Is that what saved you? Was your endurance? No, it wasn't your endurance that saved you. You endured because you were saved. So it's kind of like wheat and tares. This is why Jesus uses this example. Wheat and tares grow together. They look the same for much of the time until the fruit... You notice what distinguishes? It's the fruit that distinguishes. When the fruit pops, now we know the difference between wheat and tares. So this is also what Paul echoes in Galatians 5 when he talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh can be bad, evil things, but we can also do a lot of good works from our flesh, but that's not the same as the fruit of the Spirit that's going to endure till the end. Amen? 
And so Paul's not just exposing the reality of these factions, but he echoes the Lord. And he says, this is a fact. There will be factions. There will be these things. And these things will manifest. They will indicate who is genuine among you. Therefore, look at verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So Paul is giving instruction concerning the Lord's Supper because their coming together to the table was not for the better, but for the worse. And he said, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're coming to eat. You're coming for another reason. You might say it is the Lord's Supper that you're coming to eat. You might say it's this reason that you're coming, but your actions betray you. So it's kind of like the husband who tells his wife, Honey, I love you, but I'm going to divorce you. Now, what are you going to believe? His words or the divorce decree? (laughs) The actions are going to speak much louder than the words, right? The words are meaningless coupled with the action. And so this is kind of what Paul is saying. You guys aren't coming to the Lord's table. You're not coming to eat the Lord's Supper because your actions are communicating something different. You don't really love one another. You're not really considering one another. You're not really honoring God. You're not, you're not operating out of the love and the grace of God. How do I know? Because you, you don't wait for one another. You, you eat in front of one another. You leave some who have nothing with nothing. One gets drunk. You eat ahead. So he gives these warnings and he gives these instructions And what's his instruction? Why is he telling them this? Why is he he indicating these things to him? He said he gives these instructions concerning the Lord's Supper because their coming was not for the better but for the worse because there were divisions among you, he says. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat but, but your own supper. As one goes ahead, one goes hungry, one gets drunk. So this is not a spiritual feast, but a carnal, drunken party. It's just become a big party. It's not really a spiritual feast. They've lost the meaning of it. So the purpose was not just to eat or drink. You've got your own homes to do that in, Paul says. The purpose is to celebrate, to worship, to remember and proclaim the death and the life of the Lord Jesus. And the way you come, you despise. That word despise, look at verse, look at this verse in verse 22. He says, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? That word despise literally communicates this thought to think against. He says, but you think against the church of God. Well, I thought we were thinking for the church of God. We came to have communion. We came to to gather together. He said, no, in your gathering together, you're not coming for the better, you're coming for the worse. In fact, you're thinking against the church of God. You're not thinking for. In other words, you're not building up the church, you're tearing down the church. 
the way you come, you despise the church of God. And then he says, you humiliate or you shame those who have nothing. So Paul asks this question, shall I praise you in this? Paul is a master of asking these rhetorical questions. Shall I praise you in this? He's being, I mean, he's just dripping with sarcasm here in his letter. Obviously, the answer is no. I'm not going to praise you in this because there's no reason for you to be praised in this. Verse 23, 4, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. We're going to do this in just a little bit. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is what Paul tells the church. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. So Paul, in writing these instructions, he reminds the church at Corinth, and he reminds us of the origin and the reason for which we come to the Lord's table. We come because the Lord commands us to come. So Paul recounts, he writes in his letter, this is what I receive from the Lord, this do, this is the word, these are the words of Jesus, this do, or do this, it's a command, do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord commands us to come, do this, and we come to remember, he says, when you take the bread You take it in remembrance of me. When you take the cup, you take it in remembrance of me. In the new covenant in my blood. So we come to remember his body, his blood, and his covenant. We come to proclaim, Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. We come to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Till he comes. What does that mean? We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Can a dead man come again? No. We proclaim his death. We proclaim his life till he comes. In all his resurrected power and glory. So when we do this in remembrance of him, of his body, of his blood, and of his covenant, we proclaim the Lord's death. And so we proclaim the Lord's life in resurrection power and glory. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's kind of a sobering verse. These are the kind of verses that we don't like to talk about in church because they're not happy verses. They're, you know... They, they, they carry this weight with them. And we just kind of, I'm being honest with you as a pastor, 
I would just as soon kind of brush these verses aside. You know, it would be real easy just to kind of skip over these, these three verses of Scripture. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You know, the Bible's got some tough stuff in it. And we live in a day and an age where we like to just kind of set aside the tough stuff and focus on the fluffy stuff. Who likes fluffy pillows? I mean, you sleep in a bed, you, you kind of like the fluffy mattress top, you like the fluffy pillow, so when you lay down there, it's just kind of nice and soft. It just feels good, right? I mean, I do. The Bible has a lot of that stuff in it, but it's also got a lot of hard stuff in it. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Joe, when you go to the gym, you're not pumping pillows, are you? You're pumping iron. You guys don't pay 50 bucks a month to go pump pillows at the gym because you're not going to be building anything. Well, I'm pumping that Tempur-Pedic today, buddy. Woo! I'm getting a workout. I'm done with those feather pillows. I'm on the Tempur-Pedic now. No, doesn't work that way, does it? You pump iron. It's heavy. It's hard. But it builds. It builds something. It builds something you're not going to get any other way. If Jesus, if God, the Father, if God, the Holy Spirit, only recorded for us the fluff, that we like, we like to focus on the fluff. We like to preach the fluff because, after all, nobody likes to hear the hard stuff. Who, who loves going to the gym, right? No pain, no gain. I mean, it's like, oh, get out of here, man. I don't want to hear that. The only, the only problem with that is it's true. Okay? You can deny the truth all day long, but the truth is the truth. And there's a reason why God didn't just put fluff in his word. Because you can't live on fluff. You can deceive yourself into thinking that you can live on fluff, but you can't live on fluff. Because fluff won't give you life. It's the whole counsel of God that will give you life. You can't just live on iron either. You can't just live on the hard stuff. It'll kill you. It'll break you down and kill you. If you spend all your time in the gym pumping iron, you're never going to get anywhere because you're never going to give your body, your muscles a chance to, to, to break down and rebuild so you can break them down again and rebuild them again stronger. You've got to have both. God knew what he was doing when he gave us his word. God knew what he was doing when he created our bodies the way he created them. God knew what he was doing when he created the world the way he created the world and caused us to function and called us to function in this world the way he called us to function. So these are tough verses. And in verse 27 is a warning in light of all this table of the Lord is and represents. This table represents something, but it is also something. It's, it is a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. It symbolizes the body and the blood and the life and the nourishment we get in Christ. It does symbolize that, but there is something powerful and mystical when the body of Christ comes together and we come to the table and we partake together at that table. There is real spiritual nourishment that takes place. That's why we do it every week here. 
We do it every week because the early church did it as often as they came together. But it's just like anything else. If you don't take time to prepare your heart, if you don't take time to remind yourself what this table is reminding you of, this will become an empty symbol. If you don't take time to remind yourself of why we come together on Sunday morning, Sunday morning just becomes an empty symbol. And if you don't get enough fluff, you're going to go somewhere where you will get it. But you need to be reminded that God hasn't called you just to live on fluff. And God didn't call you just to live in this life and in this world for yourself. But he put you here for a greater purpose and a greater reason that goes far beyond yourself. So here's how to avoid the consequences that come with this warning. What are the consequences? Look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We don't want to do that. How do we avoid that? Paul says, here's how you avoid it. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Before we come to this table today, as you're hearing these words right now, I pray that you, along with the the help and the work of the Holy Spirit, you are examining yourself right now. I didn't say, look, it doesn't say, so let a man condemn himself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This isn't about condemnation. We need to be done with condemnation. Okay, We need to grow up and become mature enough to understand there's a difference between I need to examine myself and I need to condemn myself. We need to stop condemning ourselves and learn how to examine ourselves. And if there are things that need to be dealt with in our hearts and in our minds, then we need to deal with them. Not so we can be condemned or judged, but so that we can... We can deal with things and and get things right and move on. Amen? So there can be healing if there needs to be healing. So there can be reconciliation if there needs to be reconciliation. So there can be restoration and a coming together if there's been a separation and a breaking apart. This is why we need to examine ourselves so we can come to the table and we rejoice in the grace that this table represents because we, we, we didn't make it all right because of who we are. It's all right because of who He is. And it's His grace that, that not only covers us, but takes away our sin and restores us to the Father and to one another. So let a man examine himself. Let a man correctly discern the Lord's body. Let a man discern the Lord's body. That means the bread and the people. So when we say, or when Paul writes here, let a man discern the the Lord's body. The problem is we're not discerning the Lord's body. It's, It's not just saying you need to figure out what kind of bread it is you're eating, or you need to understand the symbolism behind the bread. 
He's also saying, yeah, you need to understand what the bread represents, but you also need to discern the body, the people, because that body speaks of one bread, and that one bread speaks of one body. That means we who are many members are one bread, we're one body. And in order to rightly discern the body, the bread, we've got to rightly discern the body, the people. So when we come to the table, we're also discerning our relationship. We're considering one another. And it begins right in our own hearts. Or husbands and wives, you know, the the relationships that are close to you, it works out from there. You know, if I had a fight with my wife this morning and I kicked the dog on the way out, look, I need to, because I was mad at my wife, because, you know, I wouldn't kick my wife, but I might kick the dog, right? Well, you need to make it right with your wife, then when you get home, make it right with the dog, too. Give him an extra bone or something, I don't know. I would never kick my dog. I love my dogs. But you know what I mean. I, I tell this story before. We used to live in a mobile home, and I had a storm door, and I got mad at my wife one day, and I kicked the door open, and I kicked the bottom out of the door. And I left the, I left the door broken as a reminder for me. People would come... Pastor Jeff, you need to fix your door. I said, yeah, I broke that. I got mad at my wife kicked the door out. You know, it's a reminder for me. Examine yourself. Discern the body. Let it begin closest to home. In your own heart. Let it work out from there. Verse 30. For this reason. For what reason? Because they've not properly discern the Lord's body because they've ate and drank judgment to themselves. Because they've come in an unworthy manner. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. That word sleep there is just a real nice way of saying they're dead. Sorry, but that's what it is. What does that mean? Pastor Jeff, are you telling me if I come to this table and I don't have everything just perfect, God's going to kill me? And that's not what I'm saying. Thank God for His grace. Otherwise, we'd all be dead probably, right? We all deserve to be dead apart from His grace. No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is what Paul is saying. Obviously, there was something happening in the Corinthian church. There was, there was enough disorder. There was enough going on there that there's a good indication that, that it was more than just a mere coincidence. I mean, I don't know if there was a pestilence or a plague or something taking place in Corinth at that time, but there was something happening in that church that there was a real tangible consequence that God was bringing upon that church. Now, we're in the New Testament now, guys, okay? We've left the Old Testament. People say, well, you know, Pastor Jeff, you spend too much time in the Old Testament. You just need to be done with that Old Testament stuff because that's not relevant for today. Really? Funny, that's the scripture Jesus preached in taught from. That's where Paul is getting his information. It is relevant for us today because it reveals Christ to us just as the New Testament does. It's the Old Testament. Is the New Testament concealed? The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The whole scripture, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, it all speaks of Christ. It's all given to us by inspiration of God to reveal to us Christ in his glory. And so something was happening here. And so he says in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, 
we would not be judged. That's a great principle to live by. If you would judge yourself, now don't confuse judgment with condemnation. I need to say, if you can, it doesn't say if you condemn yourself, you won't be condemned. He says, if you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. That word judgment is an interesting word. It means to distinguish or to discern. It's, a, it's like a, it's a separating. It's like the picture in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats. There's a judgment taking place, and God is separating the sheep and the goats. When a judgment takes place, there's a discernment of separating that's taking place. Paul says if we would judge ourselves, if we would discern ourselves, if we would say to ourselves, self, that attitude is not right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't look. Here's what was happening in Corinth. You had these very rich people that were bringing their food. And at some point in time, there must have been this thing where the, the wealthy and those that had a lot would come and bring their abundance and share with those who had nothing. But, but obviously, over time, and not, not a very long period of time, we're talking about, you know, in the 60 ADs here, we're talking 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Already three decades later, we see this selfishness and greed, self-centeredness beginning to manifest in the church. And Paul is calling the church down on it. They said, hey, you guys are coming and you're eating your own meal, creating your own thing here, not waiting for one another, putting to shame, humiliating those who have nothing. Don't do that, he says. That's not right. That's not discerning the body. That's not discerning Christ. That's not who Christ is. And it had become so prevalent in the church that Paul is having to address it with this very, very stern language. And he just makes this wonderful statement that's so relevant for us today. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Correct your attitude. Correct your heart. Correct those things within you that you know are not right. Correct them. You correct them. And then God won't have to correct you. Parents, don't you do that with your children? When you see your child, your little child misbehaving, or your big child, and you're fixing to have to correct them, but, but in just a moment, you see this, this thing flipping them, and all of a sudden, you just see repentance, and it's like, you know, they tell their little brother or their little sister, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that to you. I don't know why I did that. And you're waiting for, you know, the trick, you know, or something. But, but you see, it's genuine. And you just feel good, you know, because they judged themselves and you didn't have to go take the rod of correction in there. Or you didn't have to go discipline them because they, they did it for themselves. This is what Paul is saying. If we judge, would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, but when God does have to discipline us, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So God says, because you're my child and I love you, I'm not going to let you be condemned with the world. I'm not going to leave you to yourself. This is what good parents do. They discipline their children. This is what Hebrews says. This is how you know you're legitimate. You're a legitimate child of God because God is a good father and he disciplines you. Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to experience the condemnation of the world. So Paul seems to indicate the occurrence of many weak and sick and dead 
And he's linking this to the disorders among them and the judgment. The distinguishing God is bringing as a point of discipline for the good. That the church, God's people, would not be condemned with the world. This is the, dis- the difference between discipline and wrath. We are not appointed under wrath. God's wrath is reserved for the wicked. Wrath is reserved for the wicked. Discipline is reserved for those whom he loves, his children. Amen? All right, we're going to get ready and uh, come to the table here very, very shortly. Then he wraps this up and he says, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And he says, the rest I'll set in order when I come. So Paul's instructions are very simple for us to follow. Let a person examine himself, because if we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. When we come together to eat, wait for one another, consider one another so that none are humiliated or shamed, but all are valued. That applies whether we're talking about a real meal (laughs) or whether we're talking about our gatherings on Sunday And we're not literally sitting down to a physical meal, but we come to this physical table and we take physical bread and we drink a physical cup. And in doing that, we are to consider one another, to value one another. We can all come to the table, but we may not all benefit from the table. Augustine said it this way when he was talking about Judas and the other apostles when Jesus ate the Last Supper with them. Here's Augustine's quote. He says, The other apostles ate the bread, the Lord. Judas ate only the bread of the Lord. Do you see the difference? They all ate the same bread, but to some it was the Lord. To Judas, he just simply ate the bread of the Lord. He ate the bread that the Lord provided. You can come to this table today and you can just eat the bread that's on the table. And it can be an empty, ceremonial thing that you do. Or you can prepare your heart And you can come to the table and you can eat the bread who is the Lord. Drink the cup that is His blood. And be renewed and nourished spiritually. I believe spiritually, physically, and emotionally. So I want to encourage you to take just a moment to do that. I want to ask the the worship team to get ready to come up here in just a second. or You guys can come on right now. So as we come, let us eat the bread, the Lord, and not only the bread of the Lord. As believers, every meal we eat, we eat in the presence of the Lord. But when the body of Christ comes together and gathers at the table of the Lord, it is a feast in the presence of the Lord that takes on a different dynamic. It's like eating turkey and dressing on June 1st versus eating turkey and dressing on Thanksgiving Day. 
the occasion makes all the difference in how we prepare and approach the meal as well as the day. In Christ, our fellowship with God is no longer broken. Every time we come to the table of the Lord, we affirm our restoration and our redemption in the body, the blood, and the covenant of Christ. The table is a celebration in the Lord. It's a celebration that remembers His finished work. It's a celebration that rejoices in His life and body. And it's a celebration that proclaims His future glory. Let us celebrate well. Let us remember well. And let us proclaim well His glory as we come to the table of the Lord. Amen.